0: Welcome to the Church in the Graveyard podcast. Over the next three weeks, we are taking some time to think about some of the practices we do as an Anglican church. Baptism, the Lord's Supper and creeds. These practices can seem somewhat strange at times, but they are all ways in which we celebrate the wonderful truth at the heart of the gospel. That is, our salvation is secure because of what Jesus has done. For more information and audio content, please visit neac.com.au Hi, my name's Jess, and the first Bible reading comes from Mark chapter 1, verse 1 to 11, and can be found on page 990. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptising in the desert region, and preaching a baptism about repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming out, Up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased.
1: Hi, I'm Nishan, and the uh, second passage is Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, and it's on page 1116 of your Pew Bibles. What shall we say, then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin.
2: Well, good evening again. Uh, can I invite you to pray as we uh, come to listen to God's word uh, explained, we've heard it read. Father, we ask you please to be with us this evening and please to speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that uh, we would have open hearts and minds to hear your word and we pray that you would show us more of what the Lord Jesus means for us and we pray it in his name, amen. Amen. Uh, Churches are strange places. Uh, You may or may not be aware of this. Sometimes when you've been here for a long time, you kind of stop registering that uh, because we can get used to odd things uh, in the same way as we get used to peculiar features of places we live and forget how how weird they are. Uh, Sometimes it takes a stranger's eye to notice things. When uh, my wife Lauren first met my family... Uh, which I, of course, assumed was completely normal. Um, I remember suddenly noticing all sorts of strange things about our family because I was seeing it through her eyes. You know, yes, it is, it is a bit weird that we do things like that, isn't it? Uh, I guess not everybody does have conversations in that way. Uh, perhaps you know this experience. Of course, it wasn't the reverse. My wife's family are completely normal, nothing weird. This is being recorded, you see. Um, Now, of course, it doesn't necessarily mean that the odd things are bad, right? Sometimes they're actually really nice, but seeing them afresh draws your attention to them and makes you think. Over the next three weeks, uh, we're going to be, as a church, drawing our attention to three things that we do as a church family uh, that, when you think about it, are, are a little bit odd. Uh, We're thinking about three practices that you could say are kind of part of our family life, uh, and yet which many of us might have kind of gotten used to and stopped noticing. Uh, We're taking the chance to look again at these practices and what they're about. Uh, These practices are baptism tonight, the Lord's Supper next week, and saying creeds, which we actually don't do that much in church, but we do do. And my hope is what we'll see is that in the same way as some family eccentricities might be odd, but are actually really, really nice. These are practices that when we understand them are, are very beautiful. Uh, they all point to and help us stay clear about the fact that salvation has been achieved by Jesus and in what he has done and we add nothing to it. And being a Christian is not about moving on from the completed work of Christ, but sharing in it, getting connected to it, giving thanks for it and enjoying it. These are family habits that say some beautiful things about who we are and what we're on about. Well, today, as I said, we begin by looking at baptism. Uh, You've got a sermon outline in your handouts, which may uh, help you follow as we go through, shows you the way we're going to proceed. I'm not going to work through one text, but I'm going to notice and pay attention to both the passages we read. Uh, so it'd be great to have a Bible with you as well. First then, what is baptism? Well, one level, it, it's pretty simple. Baptism is a kind of symbolic ritual action. It involves water, which is used to wash somebody in some sense, although only symbolically. We don't get in and scrub them down um, but also, typically, baptism involves an action of going down and coming up in some way. Uh, that's more obvious in churches where they, you know, somebody goes underwater. Um, but it's actually still there uh, in the way we do it, where you dip down into the font. We have a font because we also, as an Anglican church, baptise babies, and you know, it works both ways with this. Uh, although, actually, it's in the Book of Common Prayer. It's a kind of interesting moment for. Anglican enthusiasts, but the Book of Common Prayer is like the Anglican rule book, right? And in the Book of Common Prayer, you're actually supposed to dip babies, right? You're not just supposed to sprinkle them. You only sprinkle them if the parents say actually they're sick and, uh, you know, don't dunk them. So just, you're meant to dip down and coming up. Now, there are actually reasons for that going down and coming up, and we'll see, but just worth noting for now. A couple of other features about baptism. First, um, baptism is always in Christian churches in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's true of pretty much all Christian churches. That is, Christian baptism is always in the name of the God we know through Jesus Christ as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That's because baptism is about being joined to and and connected to and identifying with this God and what he has done. That's why it's also described as being baptised into Christ Jesus in the Bible. Um, Another thing to notice about baptism is it's always done by someone else. You don't baptise yourself. You have to ask for baptism, and somebody else has to do it to you. Uh, This is actually a really good thing about baptism, I think. It points to the way in which salvation is by grace. It's not something we can get for ourselves. So much in life we can take for ourselves, but you cannot take this. Somebody has to give it to you. Before we get too far into the symbolism, however, uh, let's just understand where we've got this practice from. Where has baptism come from? Christian baptism has a key source in John the Baptist, uh, the guy who came before Jesus, Jesus' cousin, second cousin, I think. Um, and we read about him in the Gospels. Uh, Christian baptism is not the same as John's baptism uh, because John's Bap- uh, Christian baptism is in the name of God, the Trinity, and John's wasn't. But it is connected. John's baptism was for the forgiveness of sins. And so is Christian baptism. And the difference is that what John's baptism pointed forwards to in hope, Christian baptism looks back on in thankfulness. That is, the completed work of Jesus Christ, the one who gives us forgiveness of sins. Now, in the Gospels, we read that Jesus himself was baptized. There was a moment in which he was identified and, and took on his role as the one who would bring salvation from sin. And the Gospels tell us that Jesus' disciples continued John's practice of baptism. They baptised people, and it was a way of people publicly identifying themselves with Jesus and his movement. And that's still there, actually. A key thing about baptism is that it's a moment of public identification. Uh, It's interesting. I was chatting to a chap during the week, a a Chinese guy who's uh, lived in Australia for a little while, and he's become a Christian. And he's just full of delight at having become a Christian. He hasn't yet got baptized. And he, he will, I think. But that's a really big step for him. Uh, because back at home, that's the thing that matters. His family know he's become a Christian. They don't really mind. But if he gets baptized, he's stepped over the line. He's really Because he's publicly identified himself. Now, in our Western cult, we, we, we don't have that much of... We're not so worried about that. But actually, it's a key thing about baptism. has been from the beginning. But anyway, moving on, Jesus', bapti- Jesus disciples are baptizing. But then the symbol undergoes an important development when Jesus used the idea of baptism as a way of talking about his own death. Uh, I want to show you this. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 10. You don't have to, I'll read it out, but if you'd like to. Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 38, it's on page 1002. 1002. Uh, The context is that James and John, two of Jesus' closest disciples, they've requested that Jesus give them the places of honor when he's victorious. It's kind of a bad moment for them, they look really dumb. Jesus responds in verse 38 by saying, verse 38 there, page 1002, you do not know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? See, he's using baptism there, like the cup, as a metaphor for his death. He describes his death as a baptism. It, 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 it's, it's a great experience that transforms everything and beyond which everything is changed. Now, here's a, here's a key point. I think the reason baptism was a powerful symbol for Jesus' death is because of the way the practice itself suggests death. And we forget this, I think, but actually there's something a little unsettling about going down into the water, down under the water, something we shouldn't brush aside. It actually suggests drowning. It hints at death. And it's that aspect of baptism, I think, that led Jesus to use it to interpret his own death. And ever since he did that, baptism has always been for Christians partly a symbol of death. Life, yes, as we'll see, but death nonetheless. The place of baptism within the Christian faith was sealed then by Jesus' parting command to his disciples after his resurrection, Uh, If you want to look at it later, it's at the end of Matthew chapter 28. But Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Jesus, that is, commanded his followers to make baptism a key part of how they made converts. Converts. It was to be the way in which people took the step into Christian faith. Now, some of you are probably starting to have questions uh, at this point. Don't people become Christians by putting their faith in Jesus? Are you saying people can't be Christians without being baptized? Is that what you're saying? Well, just to kind of calm things down, let me head this off at the pass. Uh, and say that I think the answer to these questions is yes to the first and no to the second. That is, people do become Christians by believing in Jesus. And yes, I think people can be Christians without being baptised. But let's not just rush from there to the conclusion that therefore baptism doesn't matter after all. Jesus tells his followers to baptise converts. It's reasonable to think, wouldn't you say? that he knew what he was doing. And then in the book of Acts, we see the early church take his command very seriously. Baptism becomes the way in which people are welcomed into church and Christian faith when the crowd who hears Peter preach in Acts chapter 2 are convicted of their sin. And they ask Peter, so what should we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It's reasonable to think, wouldn't you say, that Peter as well, knew what he was doing. Uh, just, I'm just going to have a, a minor rant. It irritates me today that sometimes now we don't bother to encourage people to be baptized uh, when they become Christians. Uh, we, you know, People do an evangelistic talk, and people kind of go, yeah, I want to I become a Christian. And we say, that's great. Uh, what you should do is just pray a prayer. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying a prayer. It's great. But Jesus said, get baptised. Let's have some respect for that. Now, this does leave us, though, with some good questions. Okay, so what are you saying about baptised, about baptism and what it means and why it's important? What what, what am I concluding then? Uh, We'll get to these questions in section four below. Uh, But let's just notice that from this point, the practice of baptism, what happened is it starts to shape the thinking of the early church. Um, All through the New Testament, there are these references to baptism. Um, A really good one is in Titus chapter 3, where Titus speaks of how God saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. I like that reference because it's a point at which Baptism has just kind of become one with the experience of salvation, and salvation is described as a washing. And Titus is actually not that worried about whether he, you know, he's not really talking about baptism, but everybody experienced it through baptism, and so they just kind of come together. And this takes us a long way, I think, towards understanding why Jesus gave us this practice, because it symbolizes really powerfully what being a Christian means. It helps us get a grip, a real physical handle on what faith in Jesus actually means. OK, so what does it mean? What, what does baptism symbolize? Uh, well, uh, two main symbolic aspects. On the one hand, cleansing, on the other hand, dying and rising. On the one hand, it's about baptism is about being cleansed. As we've already noticed, it's a symbolic washing. Symbolizing the way in which our sins are washed away by Jesus. Baptism, that is, is about forgiveness. About the way in which God wipes away our sin and it's genuinely gone. He remembers it no more because Jesus took our sin upon himself at the cross. And he did away with it. So that we may now stand clean before God. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, we get a great glimpse of this. 1 Peter chapter 3, it's on page, sorry, should have checked this in advance, page 1202. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, 1202. Verse 21, Peter's talking about uh, Noah's flood, and he says, Noah's flood symbolizes baptism. What? Not going to talk about that. Uh, If you want to ask a question about it, at the end of this series, in two weeks' time when we talk about creeds, after the service, I'm going to have a question time uh, on all of this stuff. So if you've got a question about that, ask it then. Hopefully you'll have forgotten I mentioned it. There you go. (laughs) Verse 21, but he says something really powerful about baptism. He says, this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. And then he clarifies what he means not the removal of dirt from the body, that is, it's not the physical aspect of baptism, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. Uh, or, or, pledge can also mean um, the, uh, the, basically the, the request of a good conscience before God. I'll come back to that. But the point is here um, that the ritual, the, the washing of baptism, you see, symbolises the way in which. Through Jesus, we stand before God, cleansed within, with a clear conscience, clean in our heart. But baptism does not only symbolize cleansing. On the other hand, it also symbolizes dying and rising. Here's the significance of what we noticed before about drowning. Baptism is almost a symbolic drowning and (gasps) coming back to life. It symbolizes dying and rising with Christ. Paul speaks about it in terms of being buried. We saw that in Romans chapter 6 in our reading when Paul says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Baptism symbolizes being connected to Jesus and to the immense thing that happened to him, that he died and was buried and came back to life, never to die again. Okay, so it's a richly symbolic action, baptism. Washing from sin, dying and rising from the dead. The language of symbolism, however, is not quite adequate to describe what goes on in baptism. Uh, Because although it it certainly is symbolic, when somebody gets baptised, they're not just symbolising something. They're actually expressing it. They're actually somehow doing it, participating in it. That is, there's, there's more going on in baptism than just symbolizing something. Baptism is actually a way of participating in, sharing in the thing it represents. Now, here's where all our questions come up, and actually, to be honest, where things get a little bit tricky. Uh, and I, this bit, I apologize, this bit gets a little bit involved. Okay? So uh, either you can you know, pay really close attention or listen to it later or just kind of tune out. We'll come back to practical stuff really soon. Uh, But, you know, if we don't talk about this now, we never will as a church. Okay, let me try and uh, explain where I think we're going. As Christians thought about the fact that Jesus really had intended and commanded this symbolic ritual action to be part of the life of his people, as they thought about that, they realized they needed to speak about it really carefully. And the language that eventually developed to do this was the language of sacraments. Now, the word sacrament is connected to the idea of a sign. That is something that signifies or points to something else. But the language of sacraments is a way of recognizing that here we're talking about a very particular kind of sign because it's one that God has given to us and that we know is a good sign. So although it has various problems, this language of sacraments, at its heart, this language is an attempt to capture the way in which this symbolic action, together with the Lord's Supper, which we'll look at next week, it has a unique and particular nature and purpose for Christian faith. Uh, On your outlines, I've given you a kind of a definition, a working definition. It's not perfect. Uh, Don't It's certainly not scripture, but it's a sense of kind of what we're talking about here. A sacrament, it says, is a symbolic act involving a physical activity and accompanying words of explanation, which God has given to us to communicate his grace to those who trust the gospel. Okay, that's very wordy. Uh, What does this mean in relation to baptism? The thing that baptism... Symbolizes, the thing that it signifies and points to is, as we've seen, the new birth and forgiveness that Jesus gives us. That's why Titus describes it as the washing of rebirth. So baptism, we're saying, is an act that communicates new birth and enables us to participate in it by faith. Okay, what do I mean by saying that it communicates new birth? Well, I mean that baptism, like the Lord's Supper, this is important for next week as well, is not just what we make it. It's not just an empty act that we can kind of put our own meaning onto. No, it really is a means of God's grace to us because this is a sign that God has given us and which he guarantees as an effective expression of the gospel. What this act signifies is what is really true of God's promise to that person. In baptism, God truly extends his grace to the person getting baptized. So that we may share in it. Okay, Well, So am I saying that baptism kind of works automatically. So that you're saved by getting baptized. I'm not saying that. I don't believe that. That is a bad mistake, actually, that's been made many times in the history of the church. Uh, but it is a mistake about the nature of a sacrament. You see, sacraments are not magic spells. that You know, poof, done. Just dunk your infant. They're okay. It doesn't work like that. They're not magic spells. They're a means of communication. And so they're effective in the life of a person only through faith through their trusting in God's promise, the promise that is represented in the act. This is why we saw that Peter say before that baptism doesn't save by the washing of dirt from the body. You know, that's crazy to think you just pour some water and you're okay with God. No, it saves us as the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. That is, we're saved by faith. The sacraments don't change that. Okay, so if it's not, if it is about faith after all, why do we need the sacrament? Uh, This is where I want to affirm that one level we don't. That is, it's not baptism that saves you, it's Jesus who saves you. And it's faith that connects us to him. And yet that doesn't mean these actions aren't important. Because, friends... How is faith expressed? How do you receive God's grace and believe in his word? How do you do it? What do you do? Actually, when you ask that question, people always, you have to say something. At the very least, you say, well, you you pray a prayer. Yes, you do. You pray, and actually, there's a whole range of things, and in particular, there's baptism. The sacraments, you see, are special actions that God has given us to respond to him in faith, to express our faith. And that's why, although Peter stressed that the physical act of baptism isn't what matters, it's not the washing, you know, the physical washing, he could still say baptism saves you. Because baptism, you see, is a special form of response that God has given us to express faith in Jesus. Okay, so that's a long section. Let me sum it up uh, in a simpler way. Baptism, along with the Lord's Supper, which we'll look at next week, is, is like a word on the one hand and a prayer on the other. On the one hand, it is a word from God to me and to every person who gets baptized, telling me the truth about what Jesus means for me, that he means I have died and risen with Christ and been washed clean of my sins. And on the other hand, baptism is a prayer of trust in God in which I ask to share in his mercy and commit myself to him. Jesus knew what he was doing when he gave us this act. Okay, well, let's move towards the end. What then does this mean for you? Remind me never to study theology. You may be thinking. Let me suggest firstly that it means that if you're a Christian and you haven't ever been baptised. Actually, let me say something before I say that. If you're not a Christian, can I invite you into Christian faith? And and a really great way to do this. this is not you know what matters is faith. But, but if you've seen, as I've explained baptism, actually what it is that Jesus offers you, can I just invite you, you're welcome to share in it. Um, and a great way to do that is to get baptized. Baptism shows us the gospel. It shows us what Jesus offers us, and it is utterly beautiful. Nothing less than new life from the dead, washed, clean, so that Nothing can ever dirty us again. And you can have a part in that if you want to. But secondly, let me say that if you are a Christian, you you know your faith is in Jesus and you haven't been baptized. Uh, I just want to encourage you to really think about doing it. Not because you can't be a Christian without being baptized, but because you can be baptized. Because this sacrament, this act is a gift from God to you, to strengthen you and help you in your faith and to enable you to publicly identify with Jesus. See, we don't have to work only on the level of doing things if we have to. That's not what Christianity is like. Jesus gives us more than what we have to. He gives us an abundance. So consider getting baptised. And if you'd like to talk to me about it, yes, best thing in my life to do. So please talk to me about it. Um, This connects to another important point. Uh, You haven't missed your chance if you've been a Christian for ages. Uh, Baptism, you see, is not conversion. It's a sign of what happens in conversion. And so it's often done quite close to the time when someone puts their faith in Jesus. But baptism is not the thing itself. And so it doesn't actually matter if the sign is separated in time from the thing it signifies. In fact, part of the point of baptism, I think, is to help those for whom there was no particular moment, no massive light on the road to Damascus, such as people who come to faith over a long period of time or perhaps people who grow up as Christians. See, baptism is a sign that clarifies our experiences and it shows us what they mean. And that applies, too, to those here, to everyone who was baptized as a baby. Uh, the practice of infant baptism is contested amongst Christians and for some good reasons. Uh, and yet I think our Anglican practice of doing it uh, actually has some really good things going for it. Uh, I, we baptised our daughter when she was six weeks old, so, you know, I am on board that train. Um, there are a variety of things to say about this, uh, and if you're interested, um, put it on a communication card. Hey, infant baptism, want to find out more? I'll send you some things. Um, But for now, I just want to point out that infant baptism doesn't not count just because you didn't always believe. In fact, part of the point of infant baptism is that the person who's being baptised cannot possibly express faith for themselves at that moment. They can't do anything except cry and poo. Infant baptism is a recognition that, that we actually all come to God's grace like that, utterly and completely dependent. And so let me say that if you, were, if you were baptized as a baby, don't feel like it's second rate. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you claim that sign as yours, and it stands over the whole of your life as a profound testimony from God to you, about what your life adds up to because of Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. But this leads me to the thing I really wanted to say. So, you know, all this sermon's been leading up to this paragraph, which is that if you have been baptised, whenever that happened, can I encourage you to receive that fact through faith in Jesus as a word of assurance to you, a physically real testimony from God That the truth about you, the truth about your life is that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, you have been forgiven, washed of your sins and reborn. You have died and risen with the Lord Jesus. Let your baptism be a powerful response to your doubts. Your doubts that you are, you could possibly be truly accepted. That you could possibly matter to God that you could possibly really be okay. Because God has given you your baptism as a word of assurance that what he did in Jesus really does apply to you. And it really does reach you. And your sins and your failures and your own sense of inadequacy cannot possibly overtake what Jesus has given you. His work is for you. Which finally should be, I think, a source of inspiration to press on. We saw that in Romans chapter 6 where Paul says, we were raised so that we too may live a new life. Our baptism should be a powerful reminder that we have died and been raised with Christ and that therefore we should turn our back on our old ways and live new lives for Jesus Let the memory of your baptism or or the certificate you have from your parents or just that they told you it happened, let it be a spur to get on with living the new life God has given us. Get rid of sin. You live to God now. Finally, let's conclude by very briefly considering what baptism says about the kind of community we are. Uh, Let me just suggest a couple of things. First, baptism defines us as a welcoming community. Our task, our mission in the world, is to welcome people into God's family. That's actually why baptism fonts in Anglican churches are placed near the entrance of the church. Uh, That's not the entrance anymore, so the symbolism is stuffed, but it was, uh, and that's why the font is back there. Um, Because we're welcoming somebody in to God's family. And we welcome anyone on exactly the same terms, equally. Everyone enters the church through baptism. No one doesn't need it. No one can't have it. There are no better or worse baptisms, and there is no hierarchy beyond baptism. We are all equals in needing and receiving the grace of God. But also, baptism reminds us that our welcome has a particular shape. That is our task as a church is to welcome people into something. We welcome people, that is, we welcome people on God's terms. Not on ours, and not on theirs. We welcome people into new birth and forgiveness and holiness. Baptism reminds us that in a funny way, in a funny way churches actually have really full-on membership requirements. You have to die to get in here. You have to repent and turn from everything you once lived for. A church is, is not like, I was, this is not a good analogy, but it's kind of fun. A church is not like an ice rink, right? where anybody can come in and just do their own thing awkwardly and nobody's particularly worried about them. Churches, you're welcomed into something Something massive. And you know what? Not everybody will want that kind of welcome. Secondly, baptism defines us as a community that lives by the belief that people are neither imprisoned by their past errors nor determined by their future failures. We believe in grace and forgiveness and in change and transformation. We believe that sins, however massive, can be washed away. And they do not have to have the last word, and people can live thrilling new futures despite them. Let's let's never forget that as a community. And finally, let me conclude by saying that baptism reminds us that we believe all this. That we all have this hope, not because of anything we have done or anything we can do, but because Jesus Christ did what we could not and died in our place and rose from the dead to give us new life. We believe that hope and salvation have been achieved and secured once and for all and quite apart from us. And when we baptize people, like we'll baptize Mel in just a moment. We proclaim and celebrate and rejoice in that incredible truth. truth. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of baptism, for what it symbolizes to us all, and the word it speaks to us and the way it helps us to respond to you in faith. But we thank you much more than that for the reason for this practice and the reason it is meaningful, that your son Jesus did not seek his own glory but gave himself up for us to save us and died for our sins and rose from the dead that we might live And be forgiven. We thank you so much for this and pray that you help us to enjoy it and rejoice in it all of our days. Amen.